Amen. Please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn to Genesis chapter 46. Actually, we'll start our reading in chapter 45 at verse 16, and we'll read through verse 4 of chapter 46. So beginning Genesis 45, verse 16. Hear God's holy word. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours." The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provisions for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated.
But we're looking just at these first four verses of chapter 46 of Genesis here. And, and here in this portion, we see uh, Jacob making that trip, going down to Egypt, beginning the journey. And he would live out the rest of his days there in Egypt. He was right when he said that he would go and see his long-lost son and then die. But it would be a great reunion first for father and son and for the whole clan. But it's so much more than that. This is not just a sweet family reunion that's happening here. This is going to be prophecy fulfilled. It is the sun and the moon and the stars coming to bow down before Joseph. You remember, that was the imagery of Joseph's old dream. This all was foretold in that way long ago, and here it is coming to pass. It's God's word, his promises, and his providential plan unfolding to to fulfill those old promises and to save his people. Let's look at these first four verses. So Jacob goes uh, to Egypt, but along the way he stops to worship. We read, Israel took his journey with all he had, he came to Beersheba, and he offered sacrifices to the God of his father. Notice we're told there, Jacob brought everything he had. Didn't leave anything behind. Everything that mattered, all his people, all their possessions. Why did they bring everything? Well, because he knew that he wasn't coming back to Canaan. He was fully committed to this move, to do as he saw God leading him to do. He was making this trip in faith. And it was a huge step of faith. Remember, he was firmly settled in the promised land. That was where they belonged. He knew that he hated to leave the promised land, no doubt. That was the land that God had uh, assured him and his forefathers that it would be theirs, that it would belong to their descendants. And so he wouldn't have wanted to leave the promised land. And add to that the fact that he's very old at this point. He knew his death was coming soon, and he didn't want to die outside the land of Canaan. But after hearing all this, what his sons shared, all this news about Joseph, and hearing what Joseph had said, and seeing uh, all those provisions that Joseph sent to bring him back to Egypt. He believed and was convinced that this was all of God. And I, I think he believed, he must have believed, even at that early point, that this was the fulfillment of Joseph's old dreams. I think he had to be uh, seeing how those dreams fit in to God's old promises. 
And he's seeing now that this was God's providence for this point in time, for him and for his family. It was God's providence that was moving them all down to Egypt. This was clearly God's will for them at this time. And so Jacob knew this, he believed, and he obeyed. This was an act of faith and obedience. And then God confirmed that this was his will, this move to Egypt. In verses 2 to 4, we're told God spoke to Jacob. In visions of the night, he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, I am the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. By the way, this little worship service on the way, this is the last time that the covenant people would worship the Lord in the promised land for a long time, for about 500 years. But God reassured Jacob that this was all part of the plan. This was all part of his purposes to bring about a greater good. God, in essence, said to him, I know what I'm doing, Jacob. You go there. Go to Egypt. That's where I want you. That's where I want all your people. That's where I'm going to build up my people into a great kingdom. And none of my promises will fail. He speaks with such assurance here to Jacob. Back in Genesis 15, God told Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. So way back then, God had spoken to Jacob's grandfather this great promise and foretold all this. And they've got to get there somehow, and here it is. A reverse exodus as they all go out of the promised land into Egypt. Jacob surely remembered uh, this promise that was passed down to him from his grandfather and to his father and to him. And now it's finally happening. So he must have had mixed feelings about it. He's looking forward to his reunion with Jacob, or with Joseph, rather. Surely was so excited. And just, he, he was, like, resurrected. He's revived in his spirit with the, no, the, the, the knowledge that Joseph was still alive. He's so excited for that reunion. But probably also a bit fearful. Fearful for that old promise to be fulfilled. Fearful for the idea that his descendants would be enslaved in that place for 400 years of slavery and oppression. What a, what a shocking thought that would be to know that that's going to be the future for your children and children's children. But God spoke these comforting words. He said, I am God. I'm the God of your father. Don't be afraid. Because it's there 
in that crucible, in that place of suffering, that's where I'm going to make your descendants into a great nation. And by speaking these things, by saying these things to Jacob, God was strengthening him, building up Jacob's faith so they would trust in God and trust in God's providence for him and for uh, all his descendants. And he told, he told them clearly, God told Jacob clearly, he was going to make descendants into a great nation, but it wouldn't be in the promised land where they would grow like that and become great. It would be in Egypt, in that place of great suffering. Only during that long, hard time. Only God could do things like that. He knows that that's what his people need. We need those times of suffering, those times of great tribulation. And he loves to use times like that in our lives to do much good, to grow us. And really, that just defies all the odds of what um, the world thinks and what we think intuitively uh, how we think things should be. We think things should be smooth and prosperous in order for um, good things to happen, but God does it very differently. He defies the odds. Uh, he, he does good in ways that seem impossible for, for good to come out of what we see happening. Now, this is how God works again and again. Think of another way that he worked like this through much suffering. Think of church history. If you read church history, it's a story of persecution, waves and waves of persecution from the early days of the church right up to the present, and it'll be that way to the very end of history. But that's how God grows his church. That's how he brings uh, people to salvation historically. He grows his church through times of persecution, through times of suffering. It seems to us that it should go differently than that. We think it should be through prosperity that growth would come. But in God's plan, it's through suffering. It's through hardship. He grows us in that way too as individuals, doesn't he? He grows us spiritually, and often uh, the only way that happens is through our times of trials and tribulations and losses. That's when we grow. That's when we grow in our faith. That's when we draw nearer to the Lord. That's when we learn to seek Him in prayer more. Well, this is one of the ways that God brings glory to Himself. He leaves us with no doubt that the growth, whether it's the growth of the church or our growth as individual Christians, the growth and the victory is from him and from him alone. Nothing is too hard for him. Nothing is impossible for him. What looks impossible to us, God uses those things 
to actually fuel the growth of his people. Don't miss God's promise here to be present with Jacob. This is a a precious promise. Look at verse 4. God said, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. God has said very similar things to uh, Jacob himself many years earlier when he was a young man fleeing from uh, Esau, trying to get away from him in fear of what Esau would do to him. God said, I will be with you. Again, that's such a precious promise. We heard it in the offertory, the lyrics of that song. Such a precious promise. And Jacob needed it. He needed to hear it again. That's true of all of us. We need to hear this promise again and again. Jacob needed it again in this current situation that he was in. As he's going down to Egypt with his whole family. We need to be comforted with this knowledge that God is really present with us just as well. Do you think about that? Is that knowledge of God's presence with you precious to you? Is it important to you? Do you take the time to really think on that promise and and, uh, live in light of it, to seek to live in light of it? We need that promise. We need it before our eyes, often, always. So much peace, so much joy and comfort is lost to us. It's forfeited when we don't make much of this promise, when we don't really believe it and rest in it and the truth of God's presence with us. We would all be so much happier. People in general would be so much happier and have more peace and comfort and consolation. Uh, Surely we'd have better mental health if we would ponder this great truth and enjoy the comfort of knowing that God is with us always. We all need this knowledge. We need to be thinking about it often. It's a a truth that will draw us closer to the Lord. It's a truth that will draw us to him in prayer. This belief in his personal presence in our lives. And notice also God's making a declaration about himself here. He's speaking about himself and who he is in contrast to all the other false gods of the nations and of Egypt. He is not some weak, pathetic, limited, uh, territorial deity like all those fake gods of the Egyptians. They were all limited in their scope, in their reach, 
territorially, but the Lord is present everywhere and at all times. So he's unlimited, and he's unlimited in his reach and in his power and in his ability to protect his people. He certainly wasn't limited to the territory of the land of Canaan. He's going to be with Jacob in Egypt as well. And anywhere and everywhere he could go. So God reassured him again, I will be with you. He also said, I will bring you up again. And he's saying there, I'm still going to give the promised land to your descendants. You're going down to Egypt with them, but I won't leave them there. They'll be there for a time. They'll be slaves, but I will redeem them. I will bring them out and bring them back to the promised land. God has not forgotten his promises. He restates them again in beautiful ways. And he's faithful to his promises, each and every one. That's why the scriptures should be so precious to us. And all their promises, all the promises of God should delight our hearts. They should give, give us so much comfort if we will seek that comfort in them and believe those promises. God is the infallible promise keeper. He always does what he says. And he wants us to have that full confidence in his word and the comfort that comes from resting in his promises and his faithfulness. And this promise about Jacob's death here is, is, I think, striking. It's beautiful. God says, Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Now, we don't like to think about death, but we have to. And Jacob was often thinking about death. And, and God shows such tender compassion here as he speaks to Jacob about his death. Remember, Jacob seemed to be fearful uh, of dying. Um, several times in these chapters, he spoke about dying in such a vivid, kind of depressing way, in a very sorrowful way, speaking about just having a miserable death and being uh, brought down to Sheol with his gray hairs and being separated from his beloved sons that he had with Rachel. But we see God's tender concern here as he speaks and to calm Jacob's fears about his death. God says, in essence, Jacob, you're going to have a peaceful death. You won't be separated from your boys your beloved sons, and your, and your precious son Joseph, who means so much to you, the one that you thought you'd never see again, he'll be right by your side when you die. He'll be the one to close your eyes after you pass. Isn't that beautiful? This tells us God even cares about 
our feelings and our fears. He knows our hearts. He knows our, our fears, our worries. And he loves to give us the desires of our hearts if they're in accord with his will. Isn't it good to know that he cares so much about us like that? He cared so much in such a, such a detailed way about Jacob and his fears. The Lord is even sensitive to our fears, our concerns, our worries. He has tenderness and compassion toward us. Know this about your God and his heart. He has a kind, loving heart toward us. Doesn't that make you want to love him more? You see his love and his heart for his people here. Notice one other thing in these opening verses. God speaks to Jacob here, and uh, let's look a little bit more at God's promise to bring Jacob back up out of the promised land. He said that here. Jacob, you're going down to Egypt, but I will bring you back up again. We just said that Jacob's going to die soon, and and he is going to die soon, and he's going to die right there in Egypt. Is God saying here that he would make it back to Canaan, though, and it never happened? No, that's not what God was saying here. Jacob would never see the land of Canaan again, not in his lifetime. And yet God says, I will bring you back up. What does he mean by that? Well, he's not talking about this individual man, Jacob, making it back to the land of Canaan. God is speaking and using the word you in a different way here. He's using the word you in a corporate sense. He's speaking to Jacob as the covenant representative for all his people, Israel. Remember, he's given the name Israel, and then all his people are given the name Israel as well. And God was talking about the future time when the Israelites would all come up out of Egypt by the Exodus. That's what this promise is speaking of. And so Jacob represents all his people when God speaks to him here. And we see that principle in Scripture uh, often. We see it here where God calls Jacob by the name Israel, but also then calls his descendants Israel. They're the people of Israel. They even call, God even calls at times the people of Israel Jacob. So here Jacob represents all of them. God says, I will bring you out of Egypt, but he fulfills it by bringing all of them out of Egypt. I don't want to belabor this, but there's there's something important to learn from this. 
This is one example of how God uses a covenant representative who stands for all his people, stands in the place of his people, representing them. Here God is promising this blessing of deliverance, redemption from slavery in Egypt, but it's for the descendants of Jacob. He promises it to Jacob, but he delivers it. He gives those blessings and bestows them on Jacob's people. And of course, later on, when those people were there suffering under that horrible slavery and oppression in Egypt, this promise would be very comforting to them. We be very hopeful to them. When they were suffering so much and to feel hopeless, it was a great encouragement and strengthening to their faith to remember this promise and look forward to the day that God would send his coming deliverance. But we see this principle, of course, elsewhere in Scripture. We see this covenant representative theme elsewhere in the Bible. We see it continuing to unfold in the Old Testament. We see it beautifully in, uh, for example, the book of Isaiah and the servant songs, as they're called. Isaiah 53 would be the one that's probably most familiar to you. There, the representative servant of the Lord suffers. And it's foretold and made very clear that he's suffering as a representative, as a substitute for his people. And then, of course, we see the ultimate fulfillment of all this, of this whole theme that runs all the way through the Bible. We see it fulfilled when God actually brought that covenant representative into the world to actually do what Isaiah foretold. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world to be our representative. And in that role, he came to obey God's law perfectly for us. We needed a representative to do this for us. And he suffered the penalty of the law in that capacity as well for us. We couldn't do either of those things ourselves. We needed the representative of the covenant to come and do these things for us. The full penalty of the condemnation of the law that we deserved as sinners was put upon him. He bore it. He suffered the curse of God in our place as our representative. And he did this so that you and I might receive all the blessings of God as God's people. Blessings that we couldn't gain any other way. We couldn't gain them ourselves through our own efforts. But God gives them to us 
freely by His grace. When we trust in that covenant representative, Jesus Christ, when we trust in Him and what He's done for us. See, all those blessings belong to Him by right. He deserves them. And yet God is pleased to heap them and pour them out upon us and lavish them all on us purely by his grace when we trust in that wonderful representative that he has provided for us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So people trust in him. Trust in him with all your heart. And you will receive all those blessings and benefits that he has won for you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great faithfulness, your perfect faithfulness, unfailing faithfulness to your promises and to your people. And Lord, we, we thank you furthermore for your great tender-heartedness toward us. It's so amazing to think of how great and glorious you are and yet how kind and compassionate you are to us as individuals, even uh, concerned for our hearts and our worries, our fears. We thank you, Lord, for being our God. We're so weak and needy and And you are what we need above all. So keep us mindful and make us us to really grasp your, uh, not only your greatness and your your, um, wonderful work that you've done for us in the past, but your, your sweet, tender heart of love toward us, each of us individually. You know us through and through and... You are with us, and we can take great comfort in your great love and kindness toward us. Help us in this. Help our unbelief. Help us to know you as you really are in this way toward us. Bless your word that we've heard now and use it in each of our lives. Do all your holy will in us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.